Our scripture reading for this morning comes from the book of Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4, and we're going to cover verses 10 through 23. And you will find this in page, on page 5 of your bulletin. The book of Philippians chapter 4. We're going to go verses 4 through 23 this morning. We're going to be wrapping up our series on working together for the gospel. So if you would, please stand with me as we hear God's word. The book of Philippians chapter 4. Verses 10 through 23. This is God's word. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All of the saints greet you, especially those in Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Would you lift your hands in prayer with me? Father, we come once again with empty hands. We need you. And we ask that you would fill these empty hands. We pray that your grace would pour from the text. We pray that you would give us wisdom and direction for how this text meets the road in our lives. We pray that you would lift up the downcast, that you would bind up the brokenhearted. We pray that you would humble the proud. We pray that you would form us more into the likeness of Jesus. And that we'd be assured of your good and precious promises for us. We pray that you would be in our midst this morning through the preaching of the word. And that you would fit us more for glory and more for the work that is ahead of us. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. As you move around our city, you will notice that there is a lot of development and construction that's taken place in our city. And whenever a developer has their heart set on a tract of land, they take possession of that land, they buy it, and then they begin to draw up all of these plans for that tract of land. They, they have the blueprints and the models all printed out. And then from that point, they begin to coordinate with their workers in order to see that vision 
brought to reality. We've seen it happen on Monroe Street. We've seen it happen at Fort Lincoln. It's happening all around our neighborhoods. Developers have their eyes set on attractive land. They have their hearts set on it. They get possession of it. They cast vision for it. And then they coordinate their workers to begin working on the project, to see it through to completion. And one of the things uh, that we should realize about all of this development that's going on is, is this. There is a there's a particular relationship between the developer and the workers. The developer takes responsibility for making sure that all of the supplies that are needed for the building are there. The workers don't need to worry and wring their hands about whether they'll have the drywall that they need to hang. That, that is the developer's responsibility. The developer makes sure that they have the supplies to do the work. The workers aren't wringing their hands about having hammers and nails and, and screws and machines and, and all of the things that they'll need. No, they, they don't fret about that because it's the developer who is taking responsibility to make sure they have the tools and the equipment that they need in order to do the work. And not only does the developer make sure that they have the tools and the equipment that the workers need to do the work, the developers also compensate the workers so that they, ha they can have their own personal subsistence, so that they can put food on their tables and take care of their families. The developer ends up sustaining the life of the workers themselves and also providing everything that's needed for them to build in the project until the work is done. The God of the Bible has set his heart on this earth. He has vision and plans for this world. Beautiful plans for renewal. Beautiful plans to build this place into what it was always meant to be. And God himself has taken responsibility for making sure that everything that is necessary in order to see that work come to pass, to see that vision become reality, is on him. And he has gathered his workers, he's gathering his church, he's gathering his people so that they will participate in the work. But one of the things that we need to keep in mind is that it is God himself, the developer, who takes responsibility for ensuring that we have all the supplies that we need in order to participate in his mission, to participate in building his kingdom. We don't need to fret about whether or not there will be enough. He will supply. We don't need to worry about if there's going to be enough money, if there's going to be enough time, if there's going to be enough bandwidth. He will supply. And not only will he supply for the work of the mission in the kingdom building, our God has promised that he will supply for us in our personal subsistence, for our personal needs. He will he will meet us there. And as we bring our series in the book of Philippians to a close, we, we end on a very encouraging note. We end on a very instructive note. Our series has been entitled Working Together for the Gospel. And as Paul winds his letter down, he leaves his friends with an important reminder that is very suited for their situation, but also very much geared toward helping them to acquire the freedom that they need in order to continue to throw themselves into the mission. And so this morning, 
we're going to close out this series, and we're going we're gonna to end by hitting these two points. We're going we're gonna to consider contentment in Jesus and commitment in mission. Contentment in Jesus and commitment in mission. So let's look at our first point, contentment in Jesus. I'm going to draw this from verses 10 through 14 of our passage, all right? Now check it out. As Paul closes out this letter, he wants to circle back around and thank his friends once again because they have been generous supporters of his ministry. And not only have they been generous supporters of his ministry, they have been generous supporters of the brothers and sisters around the world who have been going through hard times. The church in Jerusalem, they were going through a famine and they had extreme needs that were arising. And when they found out that Paul was going to be going down to Jerusalem in order to bring a gift to the Christians in Jerusalem in the midst of famine, they begged him for the opportunity to participate. They not only participated in alleviating the needs of these friends and brothers and sisters in the faith, they also saw the importance of the gospel going forward through Paul's preaching, and they supported him as well. In multiple passages, Paul says that the beauty of the Philippians' example was that their repeated acts of sacrificial giving were simply the overflow of abundant and joyful hearts. That's what he says. On repeated occasions, the Philippians participated and gave, and they were generous. And Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, it's such an important passage. Check it out. Write it down. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. He says something to a very wealthy church who had promised to give but hadn't followed through. He says, I want you to check out the example of the Macedonians, the churches in Macedonia. That's where Philippi was. He says, out of their extreme poverty and abundant joy, it overflowed in an abundance of generosity. They had something real on the inside. There was something going on in their hearts. They had connected so deeply with God's grace in Jesus that they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to their brothers and sisters. In fact, what Paul implies here is that you haven't given yourself to the Lord until you have given yourself to your brothers and sisters in tangible ways. He's saying there is something telling about your giving relative to your heart. Your giving, your generosity, you're making time, you're making meaningful gifts, you're, you're creating the opportunity to give, seeking it out, desiring it, longing for it. That is an indicator of the state of your soul and your connection to the faith. And he says they had something real there. And everything that you saw on the outside was simply an overflow of the resonance within, of what was really going on within them. And it was beautiful. They had given themselves to the family of faith in concrete acts of love. And that was the evidence that they had given themselves first to the Lord. And that's why in verse 14, Paul says, yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. Kind of you doesn't really get the fullness of it. It's the word kalos, which is where you get the word good or appropriate or fitting or beautiful. What Paul is saying is actually fitting with our faith that you, look at that, shared my trouble. It was more than just a kind gesture. It was right and good and fitting. They partnered with Paul 
for the relief of the poor in Jerusalem, and they partnered with the apostle in his gospel ministry in tangible and meaningful ways on multiple occasions. And even though for a short time they were unable to get their gifts to Paul, that, you know, this wasn't the day where you could wire it or send it through PayPal. They had lacked the ability to get the resources for Paul into his hands, but they never stopped caring about him. And so that's what Paul's saying in this first verse here. I know that you've cared about me, but you've lacked opportunity to get the gifts that you have for me into my hands. But I'm grateful. But here's the deal. Paul is thankful for their gifts. But in verses 11 through 13, he's trying to show them that he does not live in a place of entitlement. When he says, when he says, look at the text. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, verse 11. Think of it as this. Not that I'm speaking from a place of entitlement. I'm letting you know something. I am grateful for your gifts, but I am also in a position where I've learned to be content. He's trying to caveat his gratitude, and it can leave it a little bit confusing. But what Paul is trying to do, he's trying to communicate his his gratitude, and he's also trying to make sure that he gives them a lesson about what it looks like to live on God's mission. And that's what's important about this text. He wants to make clear to them that he does not live in a posture of entitlement. Working for the advancement, friends, of the gospel involves personal costs. Mission involves making sacrifices. When you live as a missionary, you will experience a diversity of challenges, trials, hardships, and victories. Here's the deal, and I want us to lock in on this. Pay attention to what the apostle is doing. Remember, he's writing this from jail. Remember, this is a man who would be beaten for preaching Christ, stoned, left for dead. Lost at sea. He had had endured incredible hardship. But he says, I've learned the secret of contentment on both sides of the polarities. I've learned how to live with little. I've learned how to live with much. I've learned how to abound. I've learned how to go without. What he's letting us in on is that there is a cost of mission. And this is what I want us to lock on to this morning. Living in the city is a cost of mission. It's a cost of mission. Sure, you could have a bigger house for less money somewhere else. But this is a cost of mission. And you're on mission here. Sure, there's less crime and violence in other places, but you're on mission here And this is a cost of mission. Sure, you might be more personally suited to a slower pace of life, more affordable amenities, but you're on mission here. And this is a cost of mission. Paul is saying that he has learned to take the highs and the lows of missional living with grace. And he has learned to be content no matter what comes to him as a result of living on God's mission. Y'all hear me. He has learned to deal with everything that comes to him as a result of living on God's mission. All the stresses, all the tensions, all of the disappointments, all of the hardships, all of the shattered dreams. 
that he could experience if he just lived somewhere else that was easier. He could still be a Christian there. He could still be faithful there. He could be on mission in Hawaii. I'm still waiting for my calling. I'm just kidding a little. I want you to see this. All of that is true. And that's why it boils down to calling. Has God called you to Washington, D.C. right now? Then live on mission and learn the secret of contentment while you're on mission here. If the Lord calls you somewhere else, then be faithful on mission there. Paul says, no matter where I've gone, no matter what has come to me as a result of the mission, I've learned contentment. And how has he learned this contentment? Verse 13. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Now, look, this is very possibly one of the most abused scripture passages in the Bible. This is on the eye black of football players, right? They put this on the signs in the, in the athletic games, and people put this up all over the place. It's on the little Hallmark kind of cards in the Christian bookstores. And if you don't understand this right, then you might believe that it's not true. But look at the context of this verse, y'all. When Paul talks about all things, he's talking about all kinds of circumstances that result from missional living. I can live in any kind of situation that mission requires through him who strengthens me. I can live in the difficulties of Kigali. I could live in a place that they don't share my food or my customs or my culture. I can live in whatever circumstances, and Christians have proven this verse to be true. I can live in whatever circumstances this mission requires of me through him who strengthens me. That's what this verse is about. God's strength is available to you as you seek to live on his mission and be faithful in the place where he's planted you. You know, it's supposed to be true of Christians that we can bloom wherever we're planted because we have this particular promise and this particular resource available. Do you see what it is? Where's that contentment come from? Through Christ who strengthens me. Through Christ who strengthens me. He's talking about his ability to pull on his union with Christ, to draw on the resources of his connection to Jesus. Look at this. He could be content in the face of humiliation, and he could be content in great success. Not either of these polarities threw him off of his focus. He could face plenty and hunger, abundance and need. They could not cause him to check out of the mission because his stability was not resting upon having a lot and his stability was not threatened by having a little. Do you see? The he, his center was not hitched to the things around him. He learned how to draw upon his union with Christ in all circumstances and he had learned how to lay hold of Christ and all his benefits no matter what he was facing. What do we see the apostle doing? He treats his conflicts as a classroom for learning Christ. He treated his problems as prayer opportunities for communing with Christ. He treated his sufferings as sources of knowing more of Christ. Remember back in Philippians 3? To know him 
in the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. He even took his sufferings and he said, as I suffer through this for the sake of love, I will all the more know Jesus, the sufferer who goes through affliction for the sake of love for me. This is the school of Christ to be put into various circumstances because of faithfulness to the mission and to know contentment in the diversity of all those experiences. This was the source of his contentment, union with Christ. And this is what he wanted to bring back around to his friends in Philippi. Because here's the deal. Remember the Philippians were struggling through the cost of mission. This is, this is what was causing them so much conflict. This is what was causing divisions in their community. This was what was keeping them awake at night. The mission was costing them. And he's saying, you can have strength and stability. You can, you can deal with the cost of mission through the one who strengthens you. I'm living proof. I'm living proof. They were giving, we learn in 2 Corinthians 8, out of their extreme poverty. And he's saying, you know what? I know that my God will supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus, which brings us to our second point, commitment and mission. And what I mean by commitment and mission is this. Your commitment and mission is not first, it's second. Your commitment and mission is secondary to God's commitment and mission. Because here's the deal. What we learn from this passage is that when God's people do God's work and God's way, they will have God's supply. When God's people do God's work in God's way, we will have God's supply. You need to preach that to yourself. When I do God's work in God's way, I will have God's supply. God does not set his heart on the earth, call his workers together, and say, let's build this vision, and then come up short on the resources required for the building. He will supply all of your needs. Somebody say all. All of your needs. He's not just talking about tangible needs. He's talking about your spiritual needs. Do you need comfort? My God will supply. That's what Paul is saying. Do you need someone to carry you when you are crying tears on your pillow at night? My God will supply. Are you in need of courage in order to speak words of love and truth to your neighbors? My God will supply all of your needs. Do you need sanity in the moment when you're trying to faithfully love your kids and raise them under the promise of God? My God will supply. We need God to bless us financially so that we can more and more spread his love in Northeast D.C. and around the world. Yes, but my God will supply. Paul was testifying from his own personal experience, but he was also drawing upon the entire story of Scripture. 
And he's saying this to people who are dishing out. They are drawing out of their bank and they are looking at their bank and they're wondering if they're going to hit bottom in their bank account. And he says, I want you to look through the story and I want you to see that you cannot empty that thing fast enough before the Lord will fill it all the way up. You can't outgive him. You can't outdo him. We never have been able to do that. We can't outdo him in love. We can't outdo him in commitment. We can't outdo him in faithfulness. If you think you're good to your kids, that is just a glimmer of how good he is to his kids. If you think you're faithful to your children and you would bend over backwards and do anything and go through any hardship so that they could have better, what does your God commit to and promise to you? Do you think you're better than God? I like how Jesus put it in the Gospels. If you who are evil know how to give your children good gifts, will not the Father do more so for you? Paul says this from a place of experience, but he says it by looking back through all of redemptive history. Paul knew the scriptures, and when he looked back through the scriptures, he could see that this promise was true. How can I tell that God will provide? How can I know that God will provide? How can you know that God will provide for you as you live on his mission? Adam and Eve could tell you that he provided covering for their shame. My, my God will supply. Noah could tell you that, that, that God provided a refuge from judgment. My God will supply. Abraham could tell you that that God provided a promised child in his old age. My God will supply. Isaac could tell you that he provided a substitute sacrifice, the ram caught in the thicket that spared his life. My God will supply. Jacob could tell you that he provided transforming grace to take him from a deceiver to a believer. Jacob could tell you, my God will supply. Joseph could tell you that he's able to sustain you in faithfulness while you're in the prison and he's able to create a pathway to the palace. Joseph would tell you, my God will supply. Moses can tell you that he's, he's able to take a, 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 a stuttering spokesman, turn him into a prophet of power, speaking truth to power to set God's people free. My God will supply. He's able to make a way out of no way when your back is up against the wall and the enemy's closing in and you look back over and it's the sea behind you and it's your enemies ahead of you. Then all of a sudden you turn back around and there's a pathway through the water. My God will supply. The, the Israelites could tell you that when you're in the desert and you're thirsty and you're starving and you don't know how you're going to make it, that bread comes from heaven and water from a rock. My God will supply. Joshua could tell you that he provides strength in the battle, yet he even takes the battle from you and says the battle is not yours, it's the Lord's. And he will bring you into the land of promise by his good and precious promises. My God will supply. David could tell you that he will provide a kingdom he can provide forgiveness for grieved sins. He can plant you in the kingdom and give you a name that will last. My God will supply. Solomon can tell you that he, he provides wisdom for those who are fools. 
My God will supply. The, the prophets can tell you that he is able to provide a vision of beauty in the midst of devastation. My God will supply. And in the fullness of time, we see how sure this promise is. Because in the fullness of time, he provides a son. He provides a savior. He provides a friend who sticks closer than a brother. He provides a comforter and a sustainer. He provides a king and a kingdom. My God will supply. Do you see it? When God's people serve God's mission, we will always have God's provision. Always. Your business is to stay on mission. Your business is to stay focused on the work. All the workers got to do is show up. That's like 95% of it, just showing up and staying at the work until the job is done. God's people will always have God's provision when they live on God's mission. There's an intimate connection between the mission and the provision. He will meet your needs. And I love in verse 20 how he closes this thing out. As if just to to punch it all the way through. As As if his own personal story wasn't enough. As if the story through redemptive history, through all of scripture, were not enough. As if all of the lived examples in their current moment were not enough. He ends on this note, verse 20. To our God and Father. To our God and Father. Remember who your God is. Remember the distinctive of your God. Nowhere in the Bible does it call God a boss. Don't relate to him in that way. It calls him a father. It calls him a king. It calls him Lord. It calls him a savior. Relate to him though, Jesus says, as father. That's why he taught his disciples to pray, our father. This is from Jesus. Jesus is saying this is the way you are to relate to God. He is your father. He cares for you. If you are told by your father to do his bidding, he will provide his supply for you to do it. To our God and father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Remember who your God is and remember who you belong to. You belong to your father. He knows when a single hair falls from your head. Do you think he will come up short on anything that you need to live on his mission? What what is it that keeps you from living on his mission? Or what is it that entangles you as you try to run faithfully on the mission? What is it that, that weighs you down when it comes to the mission? And can you counter those things with the abundant supply of God? Can you do that? That's what you're invited to do today. You're invited to own this word of encouragement. 
When you go through difficulties this week, I just want you to say, and my God will supply. When you don't know how you're going to handle it, I want you to say to yourself, and my God will supply. When you are living on mission, this promise is guaranteed for you. This promise is about meeting missional needs, not personal greeds. Okay? If you don't have it, you don't need it for the mission. And if you do need it for the mission, when the time comes, he will provide it. That's just the way it is. He is good. He is faithful. He is true. He will provide what you need for the mission when you go out. When you encounter things this week that threaten to put you in a survival mode, that threaten to suck up all of your bandwidth, I want you to remember and say to yourself, and my God will supply all of my needs. According to what? According to the riches of his glory in Jesus Christ. According, not according to your riches. Your puny little bank can't even hold up to the wealth of resources that God has in Jesus Christ. He's pulling from that kind of lavish storehouse. That's the beauty of this thing. That's the beauty of this promise. He's pulling from infinite riches to supply his people. What does that look like? It looks like when you're going through your week and worry is about to derail your missional train. And God says, let me look back at my storehouse. Peace, peace that surpasses understanding. My God supplies all your needs according to his Riches and grace. Can you put a price on the peace that surpasses understanding? No. But he's able to provide that according to his riches and glory and grace. When fear is about to throw you into a tailspin and you're about to start fretting about all kind of things in life. God looks back in his storehouse and he says, he says, strength, comfort, boom, according to his riches and glory. Why would you neglect those offerings to dig into your little piggy bank that doesn't have hardly anything in there to try and meet your needs? We've said it before, but all of our efforts and all of our resources are like trying to spend pesos in America. You might be rich in pesos, cool, but that don't work here. It's not the currency of America. It's like having a Mercedes-Benz when you, when you need to cross the Atlantic Ocean. It's not suited for the job. What we need for the, for the mission is, is the kind of supplies that are according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. That's what we need and that's what he offers. I'm going to close with this. Paul is always doing a lot of things at one time when he's, when he's writing these letters. And there, he slips this in, right, as a, just a tangible evidence from his own life. Look at verse 20. 20 through 23. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. 
Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus, he says to the Philippians. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those in Caesar's household. Do you know how there are Christians in Caesar's household? Because Paul's sitting in prison and he's able to say, and my God will supply all of your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. Because he's been living faithfully on mission. And as every guard comes in to stand watch over him, he's engaging them with the gospel. They're going back to the, to the cohort. And as they change out, each new person is encountering the gospel. And people are coming to know Christ because he has learned the secret of contentment on the mission. And he hasn't abandoned the mission while he's sitting in prison. In fact, he's been fruitful in that mission, and he has seen God supply. And now there are new brothers and sisters in the household of Caesar sending shout-outs back to their friends that they've never met in Philippi. <laughs> this is missional living. And this is just a subtle way that the apostle's saying, wink, wink, I'm telling you, my God will supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Do not be afraid. It is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. He loves you and you live under His smile. He's more committed to you than you are to yourself. He wants your flourishing more than you do. He wants your joy more than you do. He wants your growth more than you do. So entrust your life to Him and entrust your life to the mission of God. Throwing yourself in for this great cause of seeing his love go around the world. Let's continue to work together for the advancement of the gospel, Grace Mosaic. And let's tune our hearts as we enter into this fall to reconnect with why it is we're here in Northeast D.C. And that is the mission of God. So let's pray that God would deepen us in this mission, that he would teach us the secret of contentment and that we would be a people that could testify over and over that he will supply all our needs according to his riches and grace. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your promises. Thank you for your provision. Thank you for the stories of your people who can teach us and tell us from personal experience that you will not let us down, that you will support and sustain us as we live on your mission. So God, encourage our hearts this morning. Lift us up. We ask that you would help us to even begin to identify this week ways that you are meeting our needs. Wake us up to your answers to prayer and your provisions for us. And we pray that you would help us. Help us to live faithfully and fruitfully on your mission. We ask all these things in Jesus' name, amen.